Well, if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. You know, much like Tracy said earlier, he was struggling with some things in this new adjustment. I have to admit that I've struggled with some things as well. And I don't know if it's because for the last three weeks I've got to preach to people, or if it's because of the culture that surrounds us, but it seems like every sermon for the last three weeks has been a good yelling sermon. And so this week's no different. I apologize to those of you on the front row who have to hear me really loud. If I start to spit, I'll put my mask back on, okay? So uh, I think we'll be okay there. But what we asked a question last week, or talked about questions last week, that that are unanswerable for many Christians. Things that that we don't know the answers to. And so I want to let you know that next week I'm going to start about a four-week series. It may be three, four, five weeks. I'm kind of nailing it down right now. Uh, with some of those difficult questions to help us be able to answer them better. Uh, Questions like, if God is so loving, why does he send people to hell? Uh, Questions that non-believers and Christians alike may ask that we need to know the answers to and be prepared. Well, this morning's question isn't one of those questions. It's not a question I hear a lot from the lost world. It's not a barrier to coming to faith, but it's a question I've asked a lot in the last, oh, several years, and especially in 2020. And that is, what is wrong with our culture? What's wrong with us? (laughs) What's going on? Why in the world are things the way they are, and why are people the way they are? Had a conversation this week about prejudice. And as we're talking about prejudice, I have to admit that I believe every single person alive holds prejudice against other people that aren't them. Regardless of ethnicity, regardless of background, regardless of politics, because you don't think the way I think, I don't get you. It doesn't make sense to me. Why don't you do the things that I would do? I'm very guilty of this. My wife and I are very similar in a lot of ways. We have a very similar sense of humor. We're both very sarcastic with each other, and we're, you know, we have a dry sense of humor, and we laugh a lot, and then there are other things that we're night and day different. We cannot agree on music. Basically, I don't really get into music all that much. She has specific niches that she likes, and we don't hardly ever agree. Movies is a little tougher. I told her today was Father's Day, so uh, I made her... I got her to, asked her if she would watch uh, Captain America with me about a couple months ago, and she did. She liked it okay, and so I said, it's Father's Day. We're going to watch Captain America Winter Soldier today. I'm not sure she's on board with that. I'm not 100% sure we're going to watch that this afternoon, but, but we don't always see eye to eye, and sometimes we look at each other and go, what, what were you thinking? Like, what, what were you doing? What, what was your thought process behind this? Like, We're just not always on the same page, and we have this confusing look like why we're not acting the same. The truth is, I look at our culture and I go, why doesn't everybody think and act like me? If everybody would just do the things that I think should be done, boy, this world would be an awesome place. Don't you agree? Crickets, crickets. (laughs) All of us want what what we think is best, and and I think that's really a, a difficult thing for us in our culture. So I'm going to ask the question this morning, what's wrong with our culture? And I'm going to go ahead and let you know that this is a Father's Day message. Because I believe what's wrong with our culture starts with the family. And we're going to look at Scripture on why I believe that and why I think Scripture teaches that this morning. 
Uh, For starters, I want to read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. We're going to be uh, all throughout the book of Ephesians chapter 5, some in verse, or chapter 6. Um, And so be sure you have your Bible open. You can pull up sermon notes on our website through our bulletin, fbcrobinson.com slash resources. If you touch those sermon notes, it'll bring up all of our scriptures. It will bring up a detailed sermon outline. That may help you follow along this morning. But for starters, let's read Ephesians 5. Verses 15 through 17. Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Would you agree that we live in a time that the days are evil? Paul said this nearly 2,000 years ago. And I think every moment since then we can say, look at the world around us, the days are evil. I want to talk specifically about our country, our nation for just a moment. You know, our nation was once labeled a Christian nation. We, even in our pledge and, and in many of our, our slogans and mottos, in God we trust, our pledge is under God. We, we have all of this understanding of this Christian point of view. Our nation wasn't always so secular. Our nation wasn't always so corrupt. But can I I tell you something? The truth is, our nation actually has always been corrupt. Now, I don't mean corrupt in the way it is today. We certainly have changed and we've lost some of our, our motto, but our nation was founded by sinners. Our nation is still run by sinners. You and I as a church sit here in a sanctuary and we're all Sinners, we all have this root problem in our lives that we don't know what to do with and need help otherwise. And our nation, although it was founded on Christian principles, was still founded on on the shoulders of Christian men. And so according to Ephesians 5, we need to learn how to live in a corrupt culture. Whether we live in a Christian nation or a non-Christian nation, the days around us are evil. So what do we do? How do we live in this Christian nation? Well, in Ephesians 5, Paul gives a lengthy discussion about morality, and he begins in verse 1 with this statement. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So to start off with, Paul says, imitate God, not the world. Look like the word, not the culture. We want to be like what God tells us we're created to be and not like what culture is pushing us to. So there are several ways that God calls Christians to be distinct. And much of Ephesians chapter 5 tells us this. I'm going to put a whole list of them up on the screen and go through them very quickly. In verse 2, it says that Christians should love sacrificially. In verse 3, it says that Christians should be sexually pure. In verse 4, it says that our our speech should be pure and undefiled. Verse 6, it says that Christians should not be deceived. We should know the word so well that we're not deceived by culture. Verse 7, it says don't join in and partner up with those who are immoral. Make sure you're staying true to the course. Down in verse 18, after kind of an interlude, uh, there is a uh, a command not to get drunk, right? We're not people who are just going to throw caution to the wind. Verse 19, it tells us we should be a thankful people, giving thanks always. 
And so as we read Ephesians 5, there are these bullet points that Paul is throwing out there. Do this, be that, don't do this, don't do that. If you're going to walk wisely in the world, this is a good moral place to start. But this morning, I have to tell you that I think that those are all symptoms and not the root. And Paul's going to get to the root at the end of chapter 5. See, I believe the breakdown of the family is the crux of the problem in our culture. I I think it's the fact that our families have been attacked. Let let me give you just kind of a, a brief history on different attacks in the American family. It started way back at the very beginning. You can actually go back to Genesis. We won't go back that far. When when Satan tried to uh, upturn the order of God's creation. But, But in our own nation, it started with an actual great movement that was a good thing and is not something I'm preaching against but praising. And that is what we would call first wave feminism. This was back when women did not have the right to vote. And there were godly women who stood up and said, wait a second, we are equal people too. And that is a very true statement. That is not the problem with our country. But this first wave feminism, out of it, began to morph and like a lot of good things that God has given us, has begun to evolve and change into what we would call second wave feminism. And second wave feminism really focused on freeing up a woman I know we don't have children's church this morning, so earmuffs, freeing up a woman sexually. That's what second wave feminism was really all about. That's when abortion really got its push. Like there shouldn't be consequences for decisions that a woman makes. And so they took something good early on in the, the 20th century and morphed it and evolved into something wicked and evil. And then it continued from that and spiraled out of control where where by the time you got to the 60s and 70s, we had this big push for what they call no-fault divorce. Now, this was men and women together both deciding it's okay just to to part ways when things are no longer going as smooth as you like them to go. And so we we see this this breakdown of the family because of this, this push for liberation. And it's morphed into here in the 21st century where genders aren't even really a thing anymore. There's specific attacks on moms and dads and a nuclear family. So much so that that there are some causes, even popular causes now, that while the, the surface of it may be something good, right? Satan loves to take something good and manipulate it. When you start looking behind the scenes, you see it's really an attack on the family. There are reasons why I'm not involved in certain political things, even though they have a good surface level appeal. Because when you start to dig underneath, when you start to look at what much of our culture is pushing, it is, it's okay to be who you think you want to be. doesn't matter how you were born, you live how you want to live. The breakdown of the family really begins to be the, the crux of the problem. And so Paul gives clear instructions, not just bullet points as he has all through chapter 5, but a a passage dedicated to how God desires the family to function. Read with me our key text this morning, Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and 
is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Then in chapter 6, you can skip to verse 4, there's more responsibility for the fathers and the husband. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction in the Lord. This morning, as we, we look at the culture around us, I believe from the bottom of my heart that Satan has made it his goal to attack the family unit from the very beginning. And as a nation, and as a church, we've allowed it to happen. As we see the family breaking down, we see culture spiraling out of control, which is exactly what Satan's plan was from the beginning. If you're following along with your notes, the first thing you can write down is this. The breakdown of the family has led to the breakdown of morality. The breakdown of the family has led to a breakdown in morality. We've talked about how historically we've taken something good that should have been there from the beginning and twisted and morphed and manipulated it in such a way. You know, when I say Satan's been doing this from the beginning, this is not just a statement to throw out there. In the book of Genesis, God created Adam, and then from Adam he created Eve. From the very beginning, he gave Adam this command that you may eat from any tree in the fruit of the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he warned him, if you eat that fruit, you will die. Now, it's not an accident that the serpent, the devil who is is taking control, it's no surprise that he did not go to Adam. Not because Adam wouldn't have fallen. He, He might have fallen. But he specifically skips the chain of command and goes to Eve. Why? Because he starts putting doubts in her mind. If you eat this fruit, you'll be like God. You know, your husband, he was created directly by God. You're missing out on something here. You you could have more if you just ate the fruit. And so from the very beginning, Satan's plan to usurp morality is to usurp the family structure and family order. The same thing is happening today. As, As we look at Ephesians chapter 5. Look at the guidance of morality, the verses dedicated to to these bullet points in morality, and look at the amount of time given to the family. So we show these these quick-hitting spots. Love sacrificially, be sexually pure, speak purely, and and there's seven different things here. You may pick out some more. Hit it here, hit it there. 
it's almost like these are important, don't forget these, but then look at how much time is dedicated to the family. In Ephesians 5.21, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, here's a chunk of passages. Husbands, here's a chunk of verses. Children, here's a chunk of verses. These aren't bullet points anymore. Paul is saying the morality is important. But if you want to know where the root of the problem is, we need to make sure our families are being faithful. Paul specifically singles out the families. The truth is, attacks on morality, more often than not, include attacks on the family. Whenever there is a question about who can get married, there's always this this idea thrown out there. What is it hurting you if those two people get married? Why does it hurt you if two men or two women decide to engage in a same-sex relationship? Well, the problem isn't just that that they're doing it on their own, but our culture at large is now experiencing an attack on the family unit. No longer is there a defined role of a father and a mother. That's a slap to God's created order. No longer is there the ability to naturally have children, which, by the way, adoption is a wonderful thing. But you've completely removed God from the equation and said, God, I'm taking this out of your hands and I'm doing it on my own. An attack on the family has indeed been an attack in morality. What we find is the breakdown of the family has led to a breakdown in morality such that now we don't even know right from wrong. You know how many times I've listened to talk radio this week. I like to listen to ESPN radio and I can't wait for live sports. I'm sick of hearing the politics on sports radio. How many times I've heard someone come on and say, well, everyone should just do what they feel is right. Over and over and over again, I think that's the breakdown of morality. All the way back in the book of Judges, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. I believe that the breakdown of the family has led to a breakdown in morality, and I think Paul is trying to address it in Ephesians chapter 5. But secondly, and I want you to write this down, husbands and fathers bear the primary responsibility of the family. Now, I don't want you to, to hear me say that Fathers and husbands bear the only responsibility of the family. That is not true. I could not be a a head of my house without a strong, godly woman at my side. It would not happen. She is the reason why she allows me to be empowered to to have the primary responsibility for decision-making in my family. This is not a one better than the other. This is a God-structured order. And husbands and fathers bear the primary responsibility with the family. How do I know this? Let's again do a a verse comparison. Look at this chunk of passages for wives, husbands, and children. There are three verses dedicated to instructions for wives. There are four verses dedicated to instructions for children. But for husbands, there are nine verses. More than wives and children combined. Why? Because Paul wants to make it clear. This role needs to be valued and important. Husbands, fathers, future husbands, future fathers, know this. You have a responsibility to live a godly life for your family. The standard for husbands is perfect love. It's nothing short of Christ's love for the church. Look with me in Ephesians 5. 25, husbands, 
Love your wives as Christ loved the church and He gave Himself up for her. Look at verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. The standard for love for husbands is so high. We can go on and on and on and on. So this morning, as we we start to think about the role of husbands and wives, understand this, that Satan's goal is for you as a husband and as a father to take a back seat in the responsibility for your family. Satan's goal, uh, ladies, is to empower you in such a way to make you think that you are somehow like God in a way that he never created you to be like God. Men and women are created equal, with equal worth and equal value, but we are given distinct roles within the family, and God has asked us, commanded us to follow these roles. I've got to be honest with you. My wife would do a much better job at leading our family than I would. I think most husbands can acknowledge that. She's rational in a lot of ways that I'm not. She's irrational in a lot of ways that I'm not too, but she makes wise, clear decisions She's quick to see right from wrong and is able to say, this is what we should do in ways that I'm not. And it'd be really easy for me as a husband to say, you know what? I think you've got this. So what a lot of husbands do is say, honey, I'll let you have it. They pick up the remote, they sit on the couch, and they sit back and watch. Can I beg you husbands not to do that? Can I beg you fathers not to do that? Can I beg you to make the decisions that are hard to make? Can I beg you to listen to your godly wife and and her wisdom when she says, this is the way I see it, for you to take that in and say, you know what, then I'm going to make the decision to do that. Because I have the primary responsibility to right from wrong, and you have wisely helped me to see that. Can you make decisions that, that aren't always popular with your family, with your children, and even sometimes with your spouse, because you know it's the God honoring thing to do? Husbands, fathers, can you put the remote down? Can you put the phone down? Can you step out of the garage and into the living room and spend some time nurturing and loving your family? Because our third point this morning is that the fate of generations rests on the faithfulness of fathers. The fate of generations rests on the faithfulness of fathers. This doesn't mean that fathers are responsible for their children's decisions. It doesn't mean that that your lack of faith means that your son or daughter will go to hell. It doesn't mean that your, your abundance of faith means that your son or daughter will go to heaven. As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy clearly teaches against that. Here and other places in Scripture, Deuteronomy 24, 16, fathers shall not be put to death because of their children, nor shall children be put to death because of their fathers. Each one shall be put to death for his own sin. So in other words... Fathers, you have a big responsibility, but you can't force your kids into faith, and you can't run them off either. But I do think that it is extremely important to understand that a father's sin leads to consequences for their children and grandchildren. Your lack of faithfulness has an impact on generations to come. We read this a lot of different places, beginning in Numbers 14, 18. The Lord is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He's forgiving iniquity and transgression. But he will by no means 
clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Think about that for a minute, fathers. He will by no means clear the guilty, and he will visit the sins of the father to the third and fourth generation. Your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren are impacted by your sin. It's not just here in Numbers. We read it again in Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, in Exodus 34, 7, in Deuteronomy 5, 9, in Isaiah 14, 21, over and over and over again. There's this, this truth that the sins of the husband and the father have lasting impact from generation to generation. Here's how a father's faith has a direct impact on his children's faith. It's not necessarily that you make decisions for them or against them. But your son and your daughter wants to be just like you. I have a cousin. I think a lot of my cousin in Kentucky. My uncle, his dad, was not a great individual. In and out of prison his entire life. He's the quote-unquote black sheep of the family in a lot of ways because of that. My cousin was raised in that and was following the footsteps of his dad. I can remember thinking on these verses and going, if my uncle could have turned to the Lord, maybe there was hope for my cousin. And I'm thankful that, that just as these verses are true, Deuteronomy 24.16 is also true, and my cousin somehow broke the cycle. He's now a faithful, godly man leading his family. I think he's an epitome of this sermon this morning as he leads his children and leads his wife in church and in faithfulness. But he will tell you, it took breaking away from his father to do that. He has told me, I could not continue to have a relationship with my dad and a relationship with the Lord. Because your father, your children, will learn and mimic what you do. I believe that the responsibility lays on husbands and fathers to be upright, hardworking, godly men. This morning, if you are not a husband or a father yet, I see several young men in the room. Can I beg you and implore you to make a decision today? Not a week before you get married, but make a decision today. I'm going to be like my dad because he's godly. Or I'm going to be different from my dad because he's not godly. Or, or wherever you stand, I, I'm going to be in the Word, and be as God created me to be. Start living that out now. The way you treat your sisters, the way you treat your mother, the way you treat your family, will one day determine and impact how you're going to treat your wife. What can you do as husbands and fathers as we, we read this message and, and help our culture? Well, for starters, you can start being the man God has called you to be right now, today. Forget about what you did yesterday. Today, can you start loving your wife? sacrificially? Can you start raising your children in a godly way? Wives, women who will one day be wives and mothers, can you make it your goal to be in God's Word and be a loving support? A, a co-partner in life with the man who God is placing you with? Can you make the determination that as a mother and a grandmother, you're going to invest in your children and support your husband and the fathers of your children and your grandchildren. This morning, I, I'm passionate about this question because I'm passionate about the family. 
Is our culture too far gone? I don't know. God can redeem whatever he wants to redeem. But I know that God has used over and over and over again in Scripture the drawing together of family, the drawing together of of godly men and godly women who have made it their priority to raise their children and to bring up their family in the Word. And so this morning... I don't know what our country will look like in 50 years, but I know what my family will look like today. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for the family. Lord, you have blessed us beyond what we deserve. But what a beautiful picture of your church. What a beautiful picture of your love for us. Father, this morning as we we hear from your word, we see how important it is to fulfill our role as fathers and as husbands. Lord, I pray for the men in here who who are husbands and are fathers. Lord, make them faithful to your word. Lord, make it a priority to them to be present in their families, to be invested in their families, to love their families, to teach their families your word. Lord, to the young men, Lord, even to the children who are in here listening, Lord, I pray that you would give them, Lord, a resolve today that they will be the godly man you've called them to be. Lord, I thank you for the the wonderful woman you've blessed me with to, to lead my family together. Lord, I thank you for the women in here who have sacrificed so much for their families. And Lord, Father's Day really is a reflection of some of these godly women. Lord, we thank you for them. Lord, help us all to cling to your word above all else. And Lord, we pray that the bringing back of our families would be a bringing back of a godly, God-honoring nation. It's in your name we pray. Amen.